ages kindergarten through third grade. That's always the part I forget. So the, the kids are about that age. That's, that's what goes down. I, I honestly forget this part all the time. All the time. I always forget. So I, I, should, I should look that up. Okay. Psalm 19. <clears throat> Let's read God's word together. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken and given us your word, and all creation declares your glory. Would we enter into those words that are being spoken and hear you being worshipped along with creation and hear what you say to us this morning from your word. Would we respond well to, to that together? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is the roadmap for today's sermon. I'm just putting it out there because I couldn't think of an introduction. So first thing we're going to do is, is we're going to look at God's creation in Psalm 19. Second, we're going to look at God's word. And third, we're going to look at our response to God's creation in God's word. I'll say that one more time so you know where we're going. Number one is God's creation. Number two is God's word. And number three is our response to God's creation and God's word. I also want to review um, this sermon series. It's called Scale the Mountain. Um, Mountain because God's mountain is where his temple was, and uh, that is... A really important theme in the Psalms, and also the Psalms feel like a mountain in the Bible. They're huge. There's a lot of them. Only Jeremiah is longer, and, and there's uh, more chapters. So it's just a lot. Um, and SCALE is an acronym. It stands for STORY, um, because the Psalms tell a story, and the Bible tells a whole story that the Psalms weave into. C stands for Christ, because every Psalm is about Christ. A stands for affections, um, which is our inner being, our loves and our desires and our emotions. In the Psalms, train our affections toward the Lord. L stands for love. Uh, The three things that the Psalms teach us to love are God's 
word, God, and our neighbor. Not in that order. Love God, love neighbor, love the law. And then loving the law leads us to do those things. Um, And E stands for exaltation, which is worshiping the Lord through prayer, praise, and petition. So I just wanted to review that. That's our our way of interpreting the Psalms throughout uh, this sermon series. And I think this Psalm specifically was very difficult for me as I was planning it. That's why I don't have an introduction. I was just really stuck. I was daunted for a couple reasons. Uh, Josh, before we planned this sermon series, said this is a very important psalm for the way we run City Hope. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I get to preach this. This is, very, this is an honor and also it's a big thing. I was reading C.S. Lewis's book, Reflection on the Psalms, and he said this is the most beautiful of all the psalms. I was like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and it's just, it's a lot of things that are covered. We're talking about the heavens, the stars, and the moon, and the sun. How do we wrap our minds around those things? Um, and then, so I was thinking, how do I do this? And it hit me. I need to go outside. It's talking about the sun. We need to go outside and experience the sun and the stars and things like that. So sitting in the office and uh, the sun was shining. It was beautiful. Only minor haze that day. You know, we've had hazy weather. Um, and so I decided to go on a walk. And uh, last week we looked at Psalm 8. Uh, where David also looks at the heavens, and he is struck by the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? It seems like David is a person who spends a lot of time looking at the stars, thinking about the Lord and our place in the universe. This time, he spends even more time thinking about the heavens. He says in verse 1 that the heavens declare God's glory. So, somehow, all the things in the sky, the biggest things we can imagine, all the things that our life literally revolves around, Our lives revolve around the day and night cycle. Somehow, Calvin says they preach to us, right? Those things give us a sermon of sorts. And right now, in the normal movement of the heavens, it happens all the time, that God sustains the revolution of the earth so that we experience the sun and the stars and the moon. Those things glorify God. But the psalm hits us with a paradox or a contradiction, it seems. A poetic contradiction. Verse 3 says, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is heard. And yet, verse 2 says, the speech is poured out. It gushes out like a fountain. And verse 4 says, the whole earth is full of their voice. So what is it? Do the heavens speak or do they not speak? It's with this question that I went outside. Um, David here is trying to get a message across indirectly. The ancient Hebrew mind teaches us, uh, teaches people differently than people in the West tend to think. We like getting direct information about things, but the Hebrew mind will remind you of things over and over and say it over and over again um, to, to teach us something. And so he's talking about the heavens over and over again. He talks about God's law over and over again. And his goal, kind of like Jesus teaching the parables, is to get us to chew on the meaning, and then, wham, it hits us. The meaning clicks. So I went outside. I was down in the office, and I went on a walk down to the river. I looked at the turtles. There were a lot of turtles in the river. So if you get a chance to go down by the river, it's, it's quite fun. Um, I was asking the question to myself, how does the sun speak to us? It was a sunny day. It was beautiful. So I took my note book with me. I wrote down some observations. The sun, these are some of my observations. The sun illuminates everything. The whole earth, we can enjoy the earth 
because the sun reveals the earth to us. There were like 50 turtles in the river. I could only enjoy that. And actually, the river was formed the way it is because we were able to to build concrete things that move the river the way it goes in the sunlight. Only the sun can do that. The sun affects the seasons and temperature. The weather we experience walking in today, every single piece of it was affected by the sun. In the moon and the stars also, right? The moon causes the tidal waves to go. And actually, all of human history has been scheduled around the day-night cycle. We think in days because the sun and the moon move in the way they do, and God designed it that way. And actually, the whole animal kingdom has some relationship to the heavens. They sleep at night, or some are nocturnal, and they stay up at night. Some humans are nocturnal, even though it's probably not good for us. Um, We all have some sort of relationship to creation, specifically to the sun. And of course, the sun is very hot, very, very hot. Uh, David, he lived in a more deserty climate, so he felt the oppressive heat of the sun all the time. Um, and in all those things, David doesn't explain specifically how they glorify God. He does say nothing escapes the heat of the sun. He just says that they do. So I think David is telling us to go experience creation and, and worship God when we respond to creation. Creation's harsh. Creation's beautiful, but it's also harsh. Things wither. They die in the heat. Sunlight illuminates pollution and poverty, blight, mold, death, and decay. All these things are hard things. And it's also really beautiful. We can worship God through those hard things and the beautiful things. I think we would do really well as a people if we spent more time reflecting on creation in the ways that God is glorified through creation. He wants us, David, the author of the psalm, wants us to feel how creation glorifies God, to join in what the most mighty things in the heavens are saying about God. It's like responding to a sermon in worship. Why do you think that David would pick the heavens to show these things? He very poetically says things like, the sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber to find his bride, or it's like a chariot riding from one end of the heavens to another. Why would he use these things, right? Like, we can look at the trees and the ants and, you know, the wind, but why these things? Well, think of the A and scale affections in our, in our acronym. Our affections need to be stirred. And David is pointing to the biggest and most majestic things you can think of. And he says, even the biggest things in the whole world that our whole lives revolve around, they glorify God. And I think we can reason from that if the stars and the moon and the sun glorify God and are worshiping God, then all of creation must do that as well. I think we can work our way down to the the trees and, and the clouds and all the other things in the heavens and on the earth in the, even the worms under the earth glorify God. Right? If the greatest things do, surely the smallest things do, too. We can learn a lot of things from creation, from the material world around us. In church history and theology, this is called general revelation, because even non-Christians learn tons of things from creation and structure their lives around the created order as well. All people are blessed with the ability, by God's grace, to enjoy creation and learn from the poured out knowledge. Christians aren't the only ones who get access to that knowledge, but 
we as Christians are the only ones who can see and who have the eyes of our heart enlightened that all of creation does glorify God. We get the unique privilege of having the Holy Spirit who brings our hearts to a place of worship in right response to creation. The testimony of the Bible is that a big sin of the nations is that, maybe the biggest sin is that they actually worship creation instead of the creator. And I understand this, right? Creation is really amazing and beautiful. I think there are a lot of things we're tempted to worship, but consistently, culture to culture, the sun and the stars and the moon are, become gods because they're amazing. But what worshiping creation gets wrong is that the glory of creation is not in creation. I'll say that again. The glory of creation is not in creation, but it is a glory that is given to creation in order to point the glory back to God. Creation is glorious because God is glorious. Now, we have swung the opposite direction in our modern American culture, right? We think the world around us is entirely godless, merely an object of scientific study or something to be exploited for monetary gain. God didn't create it. It's just out there, and we can take advantage of it. But if that's true, I think there's a great quote from The Office that sums up what this mindset would say. Michael Scott says, business is a doggy dog world, and I'm a shark who eats doggy dogs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it down underwater and drown it. I'm going to be one of those insane sharks that jumps up on the pier and grabs the doggy dog and takes it back with him, right? That's what creation is like if God's not there. It's a doggy dog world, and sharks come up and eat the doggy dogs. Uh, it's crazy. It's cutthroat, right? It's cutthroat. We can't, we, we can't survive. We all just die, and then creation is over. The heavens are glorious, and we have reduced their glory because we don't see God in creation anymore. Creation points to God, and without a God governing creation, it's a harsh place where things kill each other, and things take advantage of each other, and spiders eat their mates, and it's just crazy. So, is creation just a doggy dog world, and sharks come up and eat different things? Is that what the world's all about? Things coming up, eating things, or is it more than that? Well, obviously, I think it's more than that. I think David, the psalmist, thinks it's more than that. I think creation glorifies God. And David is very clear here. The heavens, the most glorious of all things, glorify God. Which leads me to my second point. It's not just creation that glorifies God, but also God is glorified through his word. And he even speaks to us directly through words through the Bible. God's word tells us specific things. It has specific functions that we don't know apart from creation. That's why if all of creation is known as general revelation, then God's word is special revelation. Special because we only know it because God has spoken in his word. It's unique, special to the Bible, and yet it doesn't contradict creation. God's word is given to us to give us a different kind of knowledge. In some of the things we can learn from God's Word, we can learn about God's triune nature. We can learn about salvation, true testimony about Jesus Christ. We get our whole ethical framework from the Bible. We learn, we care a lot about justice here at this church. We learn what justice is 
from the Bible. We learn what righteousness is from the Bible. We learn that God is the only one worthy of our worship and how to worship him. We learn who the Holy Spirit is, who has filled our hearts with joy. No other people, no other religion gets this. Only God's people get this. I would say many of these themes are echoed in creation. I, I don't think any one people group is totally removed of all you know, ethical standard because God has given that to people, but we get the fullest revelation of all these things in the Bible. Um, a few weeks ago in Psalm 1, I mentioned that God's law is in the Bible. It, it doesn't just include things to do and things not to do, but it's a lot of things packed into one. It's story and song. It's rules and poetry. And importantly, the gospel is present in God's law in both the Old and New Testaments. I think we sometimes get the idea that God's a big meanie in the Old Testament and this nice, soft person in the New Testament. But that's, this is Old Testament right here, and God is very gracious. God's law revives the soul and enlightens the eyes. These are things that only God's grace can do. And Paul picks up on this in Romans 10. He quotes this psalm. This is what he says. Did I not put this in the slide? Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Right? Paul, right here, is quoting our psalm, saying that everybody can see God's glory everywhere. But he's using this as an illustration that we need God's word preached to all the nations, because God's word is the only thing that can save. People can see God's glory and majesty through creation, but only God's word can save, which is why we send missionaries. That's why we're highlighting mission, the Missionary Month, because we need people to go to all the nations and to the other parts of our nation to bring God's word, because only God's word can save. Only God's word can enlighten the eyes and endures forever, endures forever and is righteous altogether. So, uh, in Psalm 1, when I preached through Psalm 1, um, we talked a lot about God's Word, and uh, so I don't repeat myself too much. We're going to do something a little different this morning in Psalm 19. So, we're all going to do an exercise together, okay? So, this may put some of you out of your comfort zones, but I want you to participate. We're going to practice the A, the L, and the E in scale, affections, loves, and exaltation, and we're going to do a group prayer exercise. You don't have to turn, talk to anybody. But what I want you to do is close your eyes. And I'm going to read this second part of the psalm. And I want you to re reflect in silent prayer. So if you're online, you can do this at home as well. And if you're not sure about this whole Christian thing, you can participate anyway and just reflect, think, and even pray and ask the Lord if he's out there, if he really is the Lord of creation. So... Uh, I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read the psalm slowly. I'm going to ask some pointed questions. I just want you to think about God's law. And we're going to end reflecting on creation again. 
So I want everybody to close your eyes. I'm just going to read. I want you to think and pray to yourself. So starting in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Is there a part of God's word that you need to submit to to bring your soul revival? Or is there a perfection that is revealed that you can meditate on? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Where do you need wisdom in your life? How can God's word lead you to prayer for more wisdom? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. A precept is just a just rule of living. Are there any rules of living that the Lord commands us that you don't delight in right now? Or are there patterns and habits in your life that dishonor God? Or maybe what you need to do is rejoice silently now to, in the ways that the Lord has worked in your life to bring you into submission to his law and praise God for those things. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Silently worship God right now, that he has given us laws and rules to follow to make our lives better. Have you broken any of those that come to mind? Or have you followed any of those? And you can praise God that you have done that. God has given us the gospel and revealed in his word, revealed Christ in his word so that we can have our eyes enlightened and return back to him in good standing. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Think about God's bigness, his overwhelming majesty. Think of his holiness. Think of his purity. How do you feel? What are your affections and your loves? Think of the Lord's strength, how he's sovereign even over death. How does that make you experience him? Think of his overwhelming love and his abounding grace and mercy and his tender gentleness and his great power. Think of these things and fear the Lord. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Why don't you just end by praising the Lord for his righteousness, how he's revealed himself to you in his law. And finally, think about creation. All the big things in the world, the sun, the moon, the stars. How does creation worship God? How do you see that? How can you encourage your neighbor and show them how creation glorifies God? How can you join in creation's sermon of praise? Take just a few moments to think about these things. Okay, you can open your eyes. Maybe that was uncomfortable. And like I said, I didn't know what to do for this sermon. Uh, but it seemed like David wants us to slow down and think about all the good things about God's law and how creation glorifies God. Um, this section ends with images that are evoked about gold and honey. Two golden things. One's very tasty and one is less tasty. Um, so these, these images, I think in the, in the Hebrew mind, would have evoked images of Eden, what Eden is like. Genesis 2, and the promised land too, Genesis 2 says this about a river in Eden. The first name, the, the name of the first is Pishon, is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where the, there is gold. And gold in that land is good. And other stones are there as well. Leviticus, I don't, yeah, yeah, Bedellium and Onyx. Bedellium and Onyx. Leviticus says this about the promised land. I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey, right? When 
David wrote this, he was, you know, either about to go into the promised land and, and take back the land from God's enemies, or, you know, maybe they were already there. And David is reminding them, this, land, this Edenic, this promised land language is directly connected to God's Word. And we should desire God's Word in a way that reflects our desire for Eden and for the promised land. Because in God's Word, we get God Himself. He speaks to us. They would have had striking images of, of these glorious places in creation that God has made. And uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that we're talking about God's Word and God's, cre- or God's creation and God's Word in that order. And before we get to our response, I want to take a quick moment to mention something very important about this psalm. I mentioned general revelation and special revelation. And uh, these things, this psalm is brought up in almost every single theology book that talks about these general general revelation and special revelation. And I think in our world today, there are two errors when we think about God's word and revelation and creation that we can get onto. Um, The first error is we say to ourselves, we can only only learn from God's word. The world is bad and we should not learn from the world because it's going to poison us. That's what we say. So this way of thinking became really popular in the United States around the 19th century. And it's kind of been an ongoing clash in our culture at large, specifically within the church ever since then. Uh, when, uh, and I think it was in response to something that really bad that was going on where people were abandoning central doctrines of the faith like the Trinity and downplaying the role of God's word in the world. But this overreaction is what we sometimes refer to as fundamentalism here. Uh, This is how I'm using the term. Uh, Sometimes that's used as an insult. That's not what I'm using it as. Um, It's it's just a term that means you generally downplay general revelation, um, and you often ignore the work of non-Christians in the world and apply a hyper-literalistic reading to the scriptures. But there is a problem with this. We live in the world, right? We live in the physical world. We experience the heavens. We experience the earth. And uh, the Bible is perfect in all the things that it is intending to say, but I can't go to the Bible to make a good paella, right? It's like, uh, and to be a little more serious, uh, non-Christians have good insights on difficult topics, and we can learn from them. That's important, even on serious issues. And nope, we also got to understand that no person is perfect. And so, uh, I think what happens when you absorb this mi- uh, when you think in this mindset is you actually end up absorbing the spirit of the age because we're not conscious of the world around us and we just kind of absorb what happens. That's that's what happens. But there is a second error that's on the opposite side of the spectrum that says, well, God's word is kind of old and out of date and was speaking to a different audience. It's not really helpful for us. So let's keep the helpful parts of the Bible and just move on to better things. So uh, I call this kind of thinking modernism. As modern people think this way. They're always interested in the next big and unique and relevant thing, and old things are just kind of seen as bad. Um, but uh, this person, the, the modern person, would recognize that the world is good and useful, but they don't, they don't see God's word as God's word. The, they may throw it out completely or only pick parts of it. Um, and if someone rejects God's word through and through, they actually miss out on salvation, the most important things in life. So, 
Why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up fundamentalism and modernism, these two kind of ways we tend to drift if we're not careful holding both creation and God's word in hand? And one is both of these things, besides being prevalent in our culture, they suffer the same problem, is that uh, they see a contradiction between God's word and the world around us, and rather than trying to address the contradiction, they ignore one or the other. This is a problem. God's word and the world around us don't contradict, and I have found that it, it takes humility to say, we don't understand everything about either of these things. And so, to submit to God's word um, and to have a deep understanding of creation can happen at the same time. So, that's number one. And I would say number two is part of our sin nature is that we are at odds in in conflict with each other, and this is a conflict that's been ongoing in, in our culture. Um, I think every one of us tends to lean in one direction or another, but uh, our go-to mode in our sin is just unkindness toward the other person. But Scripture is clear. What saves us is faith in Christ, and there are people who lean in a more fundamentalist way and lean in a more modernist way who are real Christians. They're real Christians because they have faith in Christ and trust what he has revealed in his word. And that means we, as City Hope, are yoked to those people. Those are our brothers and sisters. That means we need to be really kind to them. We need to show them grace, and we need to offer ourselves to them and learn from them, and we also need to teach them as well. So, if you today are at odds with someone, a friend, a family member, because they think differently in one of these ways, it's actually our Christian duty to reconcile with those people. We need to initiate. If Maybe they don't see it, or maybe, maybe it's something that's been recently revealed to us, but it's, it's always our goal, our job as Christians, to initiate reconciliation. And this is a huge issue that affects us, I think, in ma- many more ways than we think. So I encourage you, reconcile with those folks who think differently and learn from each other. And go back to the Bible and look honestly at creation and I think we can reconcile those differences, but it's hard. It's hard work. And we got to reconcile with our brothers and sisters. And number three, this is the most important of the points about these different ways of thinking. John 1.14 says this. In the Word, so the Word is Jesus in John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Guys, Christ is the Word of God. He is eternally begotten of the Father since before time. More, more than we can even imagine, this crazy, crazy things about Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord of all creation. And he's the one we worship that all the scriptures testify to, and yet he took on flesh. He came into creation to live with us, to die the perfect death, to raise from the dead, and someday he's going to renew all of creation. The word and creation somehow, mysteriously, and without confusing the parts or uh, without dividing the essence, Christ is there. The word of God took on a body and he entered into his creation to redeem it. Both of these different ways fall flat in the face of Christ because in a real physical body born of a woman, the word of God, came into the world to redeem us. And we see that creation and the word is not bad or needs to be jettisoned, nor are they at odds, but in Christ they come together perfectly, and he fulfills the law. 
So I just wanted to bring up those things because it leads us into our final point. No matter how we look at the Scriptures, I, 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 I am convinced that we can have God's perfect Word and live in the world well. No matter how we look at the Scriptures, it does not matter if we don't end up worshiping God in the end. The final place is worship in prayer. We need to respond to both of these things in prayer, right? Let's read again verses 12, 13, and 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. David looks at creation and wants holiness. He responds to these things in prayer. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I want to be blameless. I want to be innocent of transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He's praying for grace. We respond to this glorious revelation that God has given us in worship and in prayer. This is the E in scale. It's exaltation. Uh, In the gospel, Christ accomplishes bringing us near to the Lord because he made us clean, right? It's almost like an answer to David's prayer. Hebrews 4 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? We can draw near to the Lord because of Christ's work on our behalf. And um, David is praying for grace. It doesn't matter if we don't worship the Lord in the end. That's the goal. And uh, that is the goal of City Hope as well. We're seeking to be a diverse people. What? Save, centered, and sent on Jesus. He's the center of all we do. We worship him. Jesus points us to the Father and is by his work refilled with the Holy Spirit. We experience the whole Trinity through God's work. And God's word glorifies God, certainly. Creation glorifies God. Why don't we join in with what is already going on, what God's already doing in the world and through his word? That's our goal. That's our goal. And ultimately, David prays for holiness. He doesn't even know what he's praying for. He's like, declare me innocent from the hidden things in my life. That's the right response when we see God's majesty declared in the scriptures and in creation. And he sees, uh, verse 11, that there's a great reward. We get rewarded for loving God through his law and through creation. So, I want to end this sermon with a charge to you to go out this week and this month to do this. Listen to creation, listen to God's word, and respond in prayer. It's pretty simple. I think that's what this psalm is calling us to do, to love God and love neighbor. Look at creation, look at God's word, and respond in prayer. So when you see something beautiful in creation, the biggest of those things is the heavens, respond in prayer. When you are reading in God's word and you get convicted of sin or you see something glorious, respond in prayer. That's the goal. It's a goal, right? All our squabbles, all our squabbles don't matter if we don't respond to God in worship at the end. And we know as Christians that God actually answers our prayers and listens to us because we've been brought near to Christ. So, like every week in the sermon series so far, we're going to stand, we're going to read the first part of the psalm together. And actually, because the psalm ends in a prayer of repentance, that's going to be our confession later on. So we're going to read, this is more reading than we normally do, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. So uh, why don't we stand and read God's word together? Uh, And as you're standing, I'll remind you, we do this because that's what the psalms are for. 
corporate worship. And so we're going to corporately read God's word together. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. Is there one more or no? Oh, and and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Okay, we're going to stop there. That's more than we usually do. Thank you for sticking with us to do uh, some things that maybe put us out of our comfort zone, but I think draw us nearer to the Lord and to each other. Um, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, how can we go in creation and walk in our lives and not see you declared all over the place and your word in creation? Your Bible's all over the place, and we thank you for that. Um, And your heavens revolve and we see them every day. What a blessing. Would we worship you in all we do and respond to your work in this world in your words in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.